K's, two A's in America. Three K's, two A's, America. Three K's, two A's in America. Damn, I feel amazing. Damn, we got a Welcome back to the podcast dojo, baby. This is Black on Both Sides. I'm one half of your host, King Kunta 3X, and my esteemed colleague and co-host, world-renowned, locally known, universally accepted, Mr. B. Honest. B, what's up? What's going on, man? <laughs> hey, man. This is a bit, it's, 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 been, it's been one of them weeks. Oh. It's, it's been a Negro spiritual week. It's not just been like that for me then. So everybody experiencing this week the same way? Not everybody, be honest. Okay. Like if you if you put raisins in your potato salad, you might not have quite as a bad week as as, as we've had. Have you ever seen anybody actually put raisins in potato salad? Be honest. Well, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering, because y'all say that a lot, but I've never seen white people do that either. Well, <laughs> I don't know much research you're doing. <laughs> I don't really know. You, you've already, based on what I know of you, you don't strike me as a potluck type of guy. We're not starting to get potluck season. Not at all. You're not going to be uncovering dishes. You probably have safe food handling practices you observe. Probably, probably a, 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 a chronic hand washer. So yes. yeah, you probably wouldn't see, you know, the types of shenanigans people pull at house parties and or potlucks. One time I did go to a um a, a get together at a friend's house um and he's like well known in the the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra like area so I guess he's got a lot of white friends and a lot of black friends that are like more well to do and we're at his party and um he's making some type of uh, mushroom stuffed mushroom type dish in his oven okay. and, and he pulls it out and it's very hot so he picks his, he puts his hand on one to put it on to the, I guess, the next tray to serve it. And because it's so hot, what do you think he does? I uh, licked his fingers yes. before he, as he's moving them because, yes. it, you know, keep. He keeps the heat down by sucking on his fingers for a second between each one. All of those would be his. <laughs> the first one is the only one that was any good, if that was even good. <laughs> no, all of those would be his. Nope. Every white person I saw grab one. Oh my God. Yes. <sighs> well, be honest. That type of disconnect is why we are where we are. So as we record today, Monday, um, October 13th, we are about two days removed from the second unarmed home shooting of a black person in their home in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Have you heard about this, be honest? Um, only on social media. I heard, I saw one little video, but I haven't heard a lot. I don't know all the details other than there was a next door neighbor or something that called saying he thought it was a trouble. There was trouble or something. Actually, not exactly. So a next door neighbor, uh, who saw his neighbor's house uh, with lights on and the front door open from his vantage point knew that the occupant of the house was his neighbor, who was a female, a woman. Her name was Tatiana Jefferson and he knew that she was supposed to be there with her nephew uh, for some unknown reason rather than go up to the house and, you know, knock on the door and speak like normal human beings who are neighbors who actually know each other somewhat would do. He instead decided to do the next best thing that a concerned person would do in a neighborhood, which is call the non-emergency number of the local authorities and ask them to come do a well check on the home. 
So um, we're still confirming details. The upshot is a police officer of from the Fort Worth area did come to the home of a Tatiana Jefferson. And we know that based on the body cam footage, uh, we know that he issued an instruction to the figure he saw in the house to put their hands up a nanosecond before he discharged one shot into the home. And then he realized he had shot uh, a person and he attempted to give CPR but failed and a Tatiana Jefferson died as he was shot and killed in her own home uh, by a police officer called to perform a well check. This is literally one week after the Amber Geiger murder trial in which she was found guilty for doing something similar in an apartment complex and murdering both of them, John. Before we talk more about this, I want to say is that I don't, I'm not ready to call this murder yet. Uh, based on just what I've described, at this point, I'm willing to call it um, um, perhaps bias, which led to a response that, in my opinion, if you are a member of law enforcement, you're a trained individual who is given by society um, the power to use lethal force, you should not be easily startled or whatever to be so quick with a trigger. Not just in this situation, but in any situation, I think the use of lethal force requires um, more than the jitters or whatnot. We, we don't know what his defense is going to be. We, we don't even know if it's a he. All we know is that this officer has been placed on administrative leave pending uh, an investigation. A, a piece of the body cam footage has been released. It's disturbing. I don't encourage you to go out there to find it. Um, what do you think about this, be honest? Black woman killed in her home from a well check. Um, I'm not exactly sure what a, what a welfare check Includes, however, I think that this looks really bad for police policies or police. Pro I guess the process, what what they how they how they handle a call. It has it, it show it's showing that there's a there's an issue with how their police are trained to show up to a site and what they do once they get there. There's some disconnect in 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 what is policy and what is you know. I don't know. I can't say that it, that it's murder straight up like just homicide, but. Somebody's dead, and the reason being is that the cop didn't take the what I would think is the normal precautions um, at at a, at a scene. And I don't know that he would do it any differently if he went to a poor white neighborhood or a rich white neighborhood or what this neighborhood was. I don't know if it was poor or rich or whatever, but it just seems like there's something wrong with the way that they what is it what is it called uh, rules of engagement. The rules of engagement. There, there's something off about the way Dallas police officers' rules of engagement is set up, and maybe it's just you know a, a these two particular people who both happen to be Dallas police officers are just the coincidence that both of them have similar rules of engagement process. But I'm willing to say that at this point, it's time that we basically bust that open and, and start doing some research into how Dallas police officers are trained in their rules of well, engagement. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of nuance. Well, it's not Dallas. It's Fort Worth. Fort Worth and Dallas are right on top of each other. So they call it the, tech, the, the Metroplex, the Dallas-Fort Worth Arlington Metroplex. It's like a 
tri group of cities that are all touching each other. Um, so it is a different police department. Um, okay. I'm also at this stage willing to say that I don't necessarily think what happened with Tatiana Jefferson had anything to do with the process. Uh, I think as this bears out, and I also want to tell you that I don't believe Amber Geiger had anything to do with the process as, as judged by the uh, returned uh, guilty murder verdict. But with regards to Miss Jefferson, by the way, her nephew was, was in there and witnessed all of this. With regards to Miss Jefferson, to me, what it seems like is a cop with a predisposition to um, feel that there was danger perhaps based on the neighborhood in which the call was made. I don't know. You know, I want to contrast the well check, the well call with one that I had. So uh, I moved into a new home recently and the old new alarm went off and uh, the sheriff was dispatched to my home because the alarm went off. You know, so you have a you have one of those types of alarms. If it goes off, it will trigger a call to the uh, authorities. Yep. Sadly, I've been charged fifty dollars for um, not canceling it in time. Yeah. Yeah. So, but back to my point. So, uh, a call was triggered, initiated. Now, this call, distress call from my home. One would presume, one would think that a law enforcement officer would not know what's going on and might feel that they were coming into an active break-in. Um, so here's what happened. There was a knock at the door and he announced himself as the sheriff, as a sheriff. I walk outside. Well, first I say, we're fine. You know, not, you know, it was, it was, alarm was triggered. I walk outside his hand is not on his gun. He's just standing in a normal stance. So I presume a well check would be less of a threatening situation than an alarm that's triggered, which could reflect an ongoing burglary. Would you, would you agree with that? Or you just don't know enough about well checks? Um, I would agree. I don't know that exactly... Your situation and this one are the same, though. We'll, we'll talk about that after you finish. So the point of what I'm saying is that I presume that a, an alarm, trip, tripped alarm, issuing a distress call uh, in connection with potential ongoing burglary, burglary would probably, in my opinion, cause more heightened sense of awareness on the law enforcement agent than a well check from a neighbor to a non-emergency uh, line who explained what the situation was. Door is open, lights are on, not sure if everyone's okay. Um, so I, I don't know what's going on. You talk about processes and procedures, that might be some of it. Could be how they're trained. Could be the neighborhood, because I don't really know anything about Miss Jefferson's neighborhood, to be honest with you. So I don't know. You know, the Lee Emirates, uh, the Sean Kings are already on top of this thing. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the what the excuse is going to be. Did you didn't mention though that it was, it was two a.m. So it was I'm, a well check. Yeah, but at two a.m. All the doors are also, open. 
All the doors okay, are open so when she, So if it was 1 p.m., it would, it would be okay? Absolutely different. That's a different time. It's a different... Every, everything is different at 1 p.m. than it is at 2 a.m. By, by the way, that well call issued by my alarm system was about 2 a.m., just okay. so you know. Okay. In this particular... That distress call, not well call, the distress call issued by my alarm system of a potential active burglary was about 2 a.m. too. Okay. Well, we're talking about this, the difference in, in 1 p.m. in that neighborhood and 2 a.m. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that you live in a bad neighborhood. I would assume that you don't. But I, I don't know. I don't know that, that this was a bad neighborhood. I, I saw the house of the person who made the call. His house looked like a, you know, standard neighborhood house that could be in a, in a, in a average neighborhood or a below average, but not above average neighborhood. So it's, it's, you know, working class maybe, but still probably some elements of danger is what I would assume based only on the little corner of the house that I saw behind the guy's head. But, um, at 2 a.m., if I if I approach a house where all the, the lights are on and the wind, the doors are open, that's that's a little different. That's not the normal thing you see at 2 a.m. You had an alarm call at 2 a.m., but I'm sure all your lights weren't on and your door wasn't wide open when the cop arrived. I'm just guessing. So there's there are some different details here, and I don't want to pretend like we, we have to... I mean, you know, if you're that cop and you pull up to a house at 2 a.m. in an average to below average neighborhood... I, if you're saying that your sense, spotty senses wouldn't be going off at 2 a.m. with all the, the, the lights on, the doors open, then you're not being really honest with yourself. And you you probably would approach that house with a lot of caution. With my gun drawn? I don't know if his gun was drawn. Well, he the body cams, you hear the gun. instruction and then you hear a shot. Right, but I mean... Can't see his hands. Right, but we don't well, know... I don't recall seeing his hands. But we still don't know at what point the, the gun was drawn at his arrival to the house. We know, unless they've shown the... Unless they've released the entire body footage from... They have not. Up. Okay, so I don't know exactly how long that took place. I don't know if there was any dialogue whatsoever before that, that interaction happened. But what I'm saying is at 2 a.m., you have to admit that it, it's a little suspect for you to pull up into an, 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 a neighborhood where a house has all the lights on and the doors wide open, that's a, little, that's a little different. And I mean, the cop probably didn't know if it was a woman or a man or anybody who lived there, but any house you pull up to at 2 a.m. with the doors wide open, you're thinking something is a little off here. So I, I, I'm not saying that, that he was right in the way he handled it, but I'm saying there's definitely a process issue here because what are his rules of engagement if he pulls up to a house at 2 a.m. with all the doors open? And that's what I'm saying needs to be handled because the same thing with Amanda Geiger is she walked into a house and the lights were off. It was nighttime. And instead of her doing what normal cops do in every other district around the country, she just started firing. She may have, she may have said something, but it wasn't enough to give that guy enough time to explain that she was in the wrong house. So I'm saying that's why I said there's a process issue here. If, if, if cops are trained to do things a certain way and that's the way they're trained, there's something wrong with that. Okay, be honest. You you tap dancing around the elephant. Now I told you, a black woman killed in her home. Um, both of them, John, a black man killed in his home, both by white cops. You don't think that has anything to do with it at all? Nothing at all. I think that you're adding that. There, how many white cops? To I'm black adding cops? it. No, I'm being yeah. factual. You think that has nothing to those, do in the calculus? No, there's that's not a fact. That those have something to do with it are not facts. That's speculation. No, it's a fact that you have a white cop yes. killing a black person inside of their own home. That so those fact. are facts. And white people have killed black people. I mean, white people have killed white people in their own homes in that district as well. But what I'm saying is, I'm not a social this to race at this point. I don't, I don't believe that Amanda Geiger was racist. It was dark. She didn't know if it was a black guy or a white guy. And this guy didn't have enough time to know anything other than based on the neighborhood. You're saying the neighborhood, he figured it was a black person. But what I'm saying is, though, I'm No, not, I didn't say that at all. You didn't I'm, say that earlier. I'm just pointing out the fact that we've got... You said that earlier. Two white cops 
well, I, well, I'm not sure about them. Yeah, two white cops right. killing people of co- black people inside of their homes. But if we, ha- in, in order for within us to a, use- within about a week of a murder trial for one, a highly highly publicized murder trial in that same area. In order for us to use that as any data, we'd have to get the data for all of the cops that killed all of the people in their homes in the past six months. And I guarantee you that the number of white people that were killed is going to be higher than the number of black people. I mean, I can't guarantee it. But what I'm saying is... It's the number of accidental killings, home killings by police officers in the the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You think if we went back six months, we would get more than this one? You're really betting on that? Yes. Okay. I'm, so you're saying that white people don't die at the hands of a cop by not being... No, what I'm saying is your premise of thinking there's going to be multiple incidents where this happened and it wasn't newsworthy is 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 is. Do you understand that white people get killed by given, cops all the time and nobody ever, ever, it's never newsworthy? White people die from, okay. by cops' hands all the time. And it's never newsworthy. They never even report it. If you don't believe me, please, please do some digging because I have done this for the other No, no, we're talking show. specifically yeah. about the Dallas Metroplex okay. in the last six months. Well, that was the example you gave. Well, there's no way I, so, can, I can... So I'm telling you, and I've got family in the Dallas Metroplex okay. just Full disclosure. That doesn't make it. I, that doesn't make you the facts. idea that there was more than one uh, murder or killing or death from a police call in which the occupant of the home was killed by a police officer. It's just not likely, to be honest. And okay. maybe next next week we'll have more details about this. And maybe you know I'll 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 put look into some statistics for the last six months. But no, be honest. I believe this is actually highly unusual for the areas we're talking about. Okay, I don't think that I don't think that people getting killed is is highly unlikely. I don't think that that police officers killing people by accident is unlikely. And I don't think that there's any greater chance to be a black person than a white person. However, we're the, talking about killings inside of houses. I understand. But what this I'm, country has promulgated this idea okay. that the house is special. I mean, the entire stand your ground defense is about your ability to defend your home. Well, so, Matter, so, it, so we recognize that if you're inside of your home, that's different. Okay, so then what we have here is another issue then that you have to give me uh, give me some evidence on. So now, since you said it yourself, this is an anomaly, then why is this a, a race issue if this is an anomaly? It, this never happens. This almost never happens. So one person happens and now this is racism. That's yeah, a little, that's a little far-fetched. Two black people in roughly 30 miles of each other and one was a highly uh, publicized criminal case that only wrapped up in a guilty verdict of murder for the foreign police officer about a week ago. Well, you, sure. But you're the only person that combined these two as similar things. I allowed you to do it because, you know, you started. But honestly, these are very, very different things. The only thing that's, that's similar to me is that there's a problem with their process of how they introduce themselves as cops and how they give in direction and then wait for that direction to be answered before they start firing. That's how I put them together. You made them. You made them similar. I don't think they're similar at all. There was a, there was a very very personal thing that happened in the Amanda Geiger thing. That was something personal. That was her house. Is I don't know if they had any kind of relationship at all whatsoever. But it was a, it was something that happened very. Well, you're personal undercutting to her your own her argument because you try to make your argument based on process, I, and you're I, I'm saying, along for the fact that Amber Geiger made it absolutely shit to do with process. I'm, it had everything to do with process because she did not give the person enough time to do what they needed. No, to do. You, you literally said they might have had. A relationship you weren't sure I'm, I'm saying there, there's a million things that could happen because that's personal to her she lives there she's 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 in the proximity to actually know that person we don't know whether she did or not I'm just saying there's more a, far more at play here in the Amanda Geiger issue than there is at this Tatiana's issue because this is a, a cop making a service call these are totally different issues you're the one who combined them so I'm not saying that if let's just say let's I'm go combine the facts if you've got 
a black a white person cop white in the cop. Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington Metroplex area killing a black person inside right. of their own home. Gotcha. So, so at the at a thousand miles in the air, because I believe I opened this by telling you, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I'd even say it was racially motivated. I said, what, well, whatever you happened. You've changed now, because you are saying it's racially motivated. I'm saying whatever, well, based on what we know. And I'm going to also say he can't be that stupid. He can't be that stupid, or I presume it's a he, to have witnessed the last mm, four or five months of this Amber Geiger trial and everything leading up to it to do this. But then again, you know, you can't fix stupid. So maybe, I don't know. So you're but, saying that he, he answered that call with the intention of killing somebody black at that address. Is that what you're saying? You no, know, what I'm saying, he answered that call and he brought all of his prejudices and biases with him. And that's likely what put him on some sort of unreasonable uh, high alert. I mean, that's what we get from police officers who are caught in these things. That's the same shit that the officer who shot and killed Orlando Castile said. They're saying, right. "I'm scared. I'm I'm under stress." Right. And that's just not, that's just a low standard. I expect for our officers, our law enforcement, who have, who are authorized to carry weapons and use lethal force, I expect them to be co- more cooler customers when when they are faced with something they've been trained on for, you know, hundreds of hours. Agreed, but that's process, right? And that's what I was saying from the beginning. That's process. If you're not, if you're not You can't process out bias or prejudice. You absolutely can. can. You absolutely can. If you feel, if you're in a situation where you feel like you're uncomfortable approaching that house, you go back to your patrol car and you call for backup. Tell me that's not a process. That's what process is. Ask anybody who's in the military. There's different rules for engagement, and it works in the military. Military police don't make those mistakes. Military personnel don't make those mistakes when they're in combat in combat situations. So what I'm telling you is there's absolutely a difference in process here, and it is something that you can solve bias and prejudice. leave out a judgment call on that officer. Your process of calling backup, calling backup was if I feel uncomfortable. Right. So there's still, as long as that there is wiggle room and, and grounds for a decision, an individual decision to be made or autonomous decision to be made, then you're going to have a problem with people who bring their biases and prejudice, whatever they are, to a situation. But you're, saying, you're not always going to be able to account for that. But you're saying wiggle room makes me think that you're saying that this was intentional. He intentionally went to the house with the idea that he was going to kill somebody black. And that's ridiculous. That's not what I'm saying. Then don't use the word like wiggle room because that's that's what that that's what no, you're no, no 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 I will use wiggle room because your hypothetical is it allows for someone to make a call on how they feel that's not hypothetical. which determines whether or not they enact the very process that you the the hypothetical process you've outlined that is not hypothetical that is not hypothetical that is that is procedure in some places military police are not going to approach that house if they feel uncomfortable there's no wiggle room if you feel uncomfortable well, well to be hundred percent clear and I think you know this. Uh, the bar for training military uh, military policemen is a lot fucking higher exactly. than across this country. The bar is for training almost every member of law enforcement. I mean, the police do something different. The sheriffs do something different. And it all varies by state. You get and no in argument states, from me. It also varies by county. You get no argument from me on that. So, you know, that's, that's a known known is that particularly with sheriffs, Sheriffs are pretty much whatever the fuck. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't. I, I say it that way, but it's actually true. I, I encourage anyone out there who's curious just to look into American sheriffs and 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 the different policies across the states. They they're wildly different. They're wildly different, and there's no rhyme or reason. 
Uh, yeah, that's why I have these police officers conventions, these sheriffs conventions. Some people are stunned. And I know this, you know, because I've, you know, I've had an occasion to hang out with um, active law enforcement and former law enforcement. Right. And, you know, some of these people have expressed to me in regular conversations, they are stunned at the things individuals are trained on and are not across this country. So, you know, more training obviously could help. Yeah. But I think even with more training, you can't train out someone's personal bias. And I'm saying and that you so can. I'm not saying he went to her house to kill somebody black. I'm saying that, you know, it's not unreasonable to think he may have made an opinion based on the neighborhood. And that probably, oh, that could have triggered whatever thoughts and feelings he had about that neighborhood or people he thought were in that neighborhood. Fair enough. But all I want to offer, and this is not for you as much as it is for anybody who's listening who you know may hear this and get the opportunity to, to make a difference. You said that all the police forces and county police and state police and everybody has different processes. But guess where there's no difference in process? And that's the military. They're trained the same way, whether you're Air Force, Army, Marines, or Navy, or National Guard, they're trained the same way. And, and they are also held 100% accountable for any time they squeeze the trigger on anyone. So what I'm offering is, yes, this is still a process issue and there's a way to get rid of bias and to get rid of prejudice behind the trigger if you use the proper process. I'm saying, I'm making, I'm, I'm lobbying that more of us start expecting and requesting and demanding military level training and re, um, responsibility and accountability for our police officers. It works in the military. Yes, there are civilians who die that aren't supposed to sometimes, but there are so, it's, it's like, uh, it's not even on the radar. It's a radar. It's not even a blip on the radar. The difference between, um, I guess your average everyday walk the street, you know, police officer and a, a military police or someone in the military who has a, a the ability or the, the license to carry a gun. They're very, very different worlds, but I think they need to be brought much closer together and that would get rid of a lot of this bias and prejudice that's allowed to happen behind the trigger. Well, that's certainly not going to fucking happen in the current uh, environment with the Department of Justice. Agreed. In, under the Trump administration, in which uh, the initial, his initial attorney general, uh, Jeff Sessions, pulled back substantially several federal oversights of uh, state law enforcement. So in order to get to where you want to go, I think it requires two things. It requires both the top level, the federal government saying, hey, let's try to get some uniformity on some of these things. And we're going to do that by A, holding people accountable. The other thing is, you know, you got to have a grassroots upswell from these communities to, you know, demand more professional training of their police forces. And so that sometimes goes to like sheriffs. Sheriffs are elected positions, or at least the for the most part, uh, you know, the head sheriff and, and these are types of things, you know, that you could, you would look for in, in people's platforms when they run. In any event, I disagree with you that you're going to process out prejudice and bias. I think, you know, people will always find a way to put a thumb on a scale one way or another, as long as there's any call, any room for a, a, a judgment decision. But we'll see. The story just happened. We don't have all the facts. All we have essentially is a person calling for a well check on his neighbor and his neighbor is now dead, which by the way, leads the person to now say, you know, what are we supposed to do? They say, see something, say something. How can you do that when law enforcement uh, seems to be, no, fuck it. 
when law enforcement's killing people, how are you going to be a member of the black community and call 911 or even a non-emergency number for the, for the cops or authorities and not have some fear that whatever reason you called might result in a, in, in a death? Right. What do you do? Who well, do you call? Well, here's the thing, right? I think that we've fallen into a, 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 a false sense of security with police officers anyway. Police officers are not necessarily, even though they're emergency responders, how long does it take to kill somebody? Seconds, right? That's long enough to squeeze the trigger. Exactly. So you're, if you're relying on your police officers for security and emergency services, good luck. More than likely, you're going to have to defend yourself first. That's the real, that's, and that's what most people don't understand. Even white people, they don't understand this. They think that, oh, all I got to do is call the police if, somebody, if somebody's threatening me. But that's not really the way that this shit works because you have a few seconds to make a decision when, you're, when, you're, when somebody's in your house. You think that you can go hide in a room and lock the door and that's it? I mean, that, that happens in the movies, but in real life, you're going to get fucked up if somebody's already in your house. So you need to figure out how to defend your house immediately. And the police need to be called as the secondary thing. The police are not the be all end all. They're not the savior. So if you're waiting on the cops to show up, hey, good luck. As they say in New York, you a wildin' son. I can't co-sign any of that shit. I mean, are you really saying that our law enforcement agents can't be trusted? Is that what you're saying? Because no. if you are, I agree with you. That isn't what but, I'm saying. You know, I'm that, saying that, that, that can't be the answer in a civilized <laughs> society is that we can't trust the very people we've empowered and, and, and we expect to uh, serve and protect society to, to not do any of that. I didn't say any and, of that. I didn't say any of that. I said that you can't rely on them to be... To do their job? Not in, not in the time that you think it's going to happen in. You have to protect your home yourself is what I'm saying. Only somebody immediate threat of harm yes. or danger. That's a little bit different. Yes. And that, but that's all danger. There's no slack danger. Now, if somebody says, hey, I'm coming over to your house and I'm going to kill you when I get there, yes, call the police. If somebody's already in your fucking house, pull the trigger. Figure out what you're going to do to protect yourself now. Call the police later. And that's what I'm saying. I think you're inadvertently telling the world you don't have a safe room. I'm telling the world I don't have a safe room, but I got, I got, I got a safe gun. Okay, man. Step in here if you want to. All right, son. So let's keep it moving. Uh, this story is developing. We'll probably have more to unpack next week. Right now, uh, be honest, and I'm just giving you our initial, I guess, reactions to what we're hearing coming out. Uh, we'll see where this goes. Um, at the end of the day, we know one thing's for certain: someone got killed inside their home, apparently doing nothing wrong other than living. Right. Uh, so. Let's talk about some motherfuckers doing some shit wrong. Be honest, remember last week we had a, a, a call and you finally admitted that it's time to get 45 up out of here. Let's talk about the week he had. Okay. <laughs> and I want to I, I wanna make sure that the listeners know I haven't changed my mind. It's time to get him the fuck out of here. All right, be honest. So we can go one of two levels. Do you want to talk impeachment or do you want to talk Syria? Uh, let's talk impeachment first. And then I guess if we have time for Syria, Syria next, because that's far more important. All right, so um, this week you had uh, the former ambassador, uh, I believe her name is Amy Ivanovich. It might not be Amy, but her last name is Ivanovich. She's a former ambassador to Ukraine. She came to testify against the State Department's uh, prohibition on her testifying. Basically, uh, she's a former ambassador. Ambassadors are under the branch of the executive uh, branch in the State Department. Uh, although she was removed by Donald Trump, uh, at some point last year from her ambassadorship with Ukraine. She still works in some capacity, uh, not as an ambassador, but inside the State Department. So technically, she was still an employee. 
Um, she was called uh, to come testify uh, before the Senate, I'm sorry, the House uh, Intelligence Committee, or actually the House Oversight Committee uh, that's run by Adam Schiff now as part of these investigations and these impeachment investigations to Donald Trump's uh, dealings with Ukraine, specifically the quid pro quo alleged call, specifically, you know, deeper than that, the request as as outlined in the memo of the tele- telephone call in which he, uh, one week or so after withholding approximately $400 million in security and military aid, uh, has a conversation with the president of the Ukraine, the newly elected president of Ukraine, and essentially, uh, not essentially, directly asked that person to investigate Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, and their any alleged dealings with Ukraine because Hunter Biden is on the board of a Ukrainian company. Okay. Um, this is in connection with a long debunked, and when I say debunked, I mean debunked by most major media and reasonable, respectable reporting outlets, even Fox, that Hunter Biden had nothing to do uh, with any sort of corruption in the Ukraine. In actuality, the Ukraine has long been, since it's had its freedom, a very uh, corrupt country. So corrupt, in fact, that many of the world's leaders, including Joe Biden, had called for the uh, removal of several officials who were facilitating corruption, including the former Ukrainian. I guess, you know, the, that person would be kind of like an attorney general, uh, Lysenko, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. I digress. So this theory put forth by one Rudy Giuliani about Hunter Biden and is doing this and also that the Ukrainians were the people that hacked our elections, not the Russians. Uh, That's really what this theory is about, is to prove that Donald Trump won the election legitimately and the Russians didn't help him. And in actuality, it was the Ukraine who were trying to um, monkey with our elections. You with me so far, B? I'm with you. I just don't see a big difference between Russians and Ukrainians from an um, Atlanta, Georgia, black person standpoint. Go ahead. Well, it's a huge difference in that uh, Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump have a relationship. And, you know, Putin is recognized by most Americans as not our friend, as an enemy. And so if Trump can distance himself from Putin and find someone else to have interfered in the election, that's all the good, all the better for him. The problem with this is that no one in the, uh, in the intelligence community agrees with Donald Trump and has agreed with him that it wasn't the Russians that actually <laughs> right. were right. the most uh, prominent in uh, interfering with our elections. Right. Um, this is well documented that Trump says he does not trust our own intelligence community and that he sides with Putin and that he asked Putin if he interfered in the election and he said no, and that's good enough for him. Okay, stand by. Don't, don't go any further yet. I want to ask one question. It can be, a quick, it can be the quick answer. You don't have to give me the long answer because I don't want to derail you. Do you trust American uh, intelligence CIA? It depends on what we're talking about. Fair enough. Go ahead. So um, what I do trust them with is against our known and established and traditional uh, rivals and enemies, such as Russia, China, North Korea, uh, ISIS, etc. Okay. I expect them to do their job on our, the greatest threats to, our, to our, our, our way of life. Which, by the way, Donald Trump's own national security advisor testified two weeks ago 
His words, not mine, be honest. But the greatest threat to the American people is election interference. I remember you saying that. Well, he said it too, but feel free to look it up. But um, no, I'm saying I remember so you I saying he said so, it. So, so, so since you know Trump's been elected, there was the Mueller report that we kept documenting on this on this program when we talked about Russian interference. And uh, Trump and Giuliani, who's who until recently was his unquestioned personal attorney uh, had said they were going to look into the, they were going to investigate the investigation. And in part of doing that, apparently they've pushed this theory that it was not Russia, but the Ukraine that interfered in our elections. And so um, hence the call um, that came out that, you know, unless you're living under a rock, you understand the call between Donald Trump and the newly elected president of the Ukraine um, and what was talked about there specifically, uh, immediately after the Ukrainian president asking about more military aid, specifically purchasing javelins as the Ukrainians are fighting Russians in a hot war, literally on their Eastern border, Donald Trump, you know, famously, uh, says, um, I'm going to need you to do me a favor. I need you to do us a favor though before talking about investigating the Bidens right. multiple times. Right. Okay. So this investigation um, by the uh, House Oversight Committee chaired by Adam Schiff um, goes into what led up to this call, what led up to this call with the president of Ukraine, what led up to the withholding of the $400 million in defense aid that the Ukrainians desperately need. We are the only country that is providing um, large aid to them because by proxy they are fighting a war against our enemy, which is supposed to be Russia. So this is you know geopolitical Cold War tactics 101. Um, in the course of doing that, uh, the committee decided to ask the former ambassador, uh, Miss Ivanovich, a career thirty years of of uh, career inside of the State Department. Uh, an expert um, recognized on Russian po politics and European politics. Um, and so she came to testify, despite the fact Mike Pompeo uh, and the State Department had told, basically for, forbid or prohibited or told its current employees they are not to provide information to the House Committee, which, by the way, is an obstruction of Congress and a violation of Article 2 of the United States Constitution. That's a whole other conversation another day. So Ms. Shibanovich was removed by Donald Trump in about 2018. Be honest, you know, want to know what happened about 2018? Tell me. Rudy Giuliani started conducting a, a live act, uh, investigation and trying to find uh, support for his theory that the Ukraine, Ukrainians, not the Russians, um, had, had influenced our 2016 elections. So essentially, the known knowns was that this woman was removed, uh, recalled from her position. By the way, she served for both for multiple presidents, Democrat and Republican. She was recalled before her, her tenure as ambassador was up and replaced. The speculation was she was recalled because she would not play ball. In other words, she would not do things or allow things to go forward that would jeopardize... Um, the status quo with regard to the message that had been coming from the United States with regard to the Ukraine, supporting the Ukraine and getting rid of corruption. So she testified 
testified closed door. We don't know 100% of what happened yet because it was closed door. She testified for nine hours. Uh, we do have a prepared statement from her and what she says that she was removed based on a concerted, well, she was removed by Donald Trump specifically after a concerted campaign was made against her and her, um, what's the word? It was made against her and it was make, and her lack of loyalty or perceived lack of loyalty, not to the United States, not to her office, not to the oath she sworn, but to Donald Trump. Wow. And she believed that this had been, um, this undercurrent against her was, was spearheaded by Rudy Giuliani. Okay. So we don't know what she said, but what we've heard from the people, Congress people have come out is that, you know, she's a patriot. She's presented very compelling testimony and, and I guess they're going to continue on. Let's full stop pause there. It's been a crazy week. Two Ukrainian um, individuals who were, um, colleagues of Rudy Giuliani. Let me do it this way. So Rudy Giuliani has a meeting with two uh, Ukrainian friends of his, colleagues. After that lunch, a couple hours later, they, they, lead, they go to Dulles Airport uh, in Washington uh, purchasing one-way tickets to, I want to say, Frankfurt, Germany. I'm not sure. They don't make the plane because they're stopped by, um, I guess, U.S. Marshals. Um, and they're arrested for campaign uh, finance violations. Specifically, these uh, Ukrainian-born individuals were arrested because it, of a suspicion they've, they've caused hundreds of thousands of dollars to be routed in from another country uh, to political candidates here in the United States, which is actually a law and you can't do that. I know, to be honest, you may not have a problem with that. I don't know why, but you can't funnel foreign money into an election legally. Can't do it. <laughs> I agree. So um, the interesting thing is, be honest, who did I tell you these men met with right before they tried to get their one-way tickets out of the United States on the next thing smoking? Well, probably who I I'm starting to believe is this camp this cabinet's Dick Cheney. Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> That's what so I'm So the mean. president's attorney <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. is meeting with his colleagues, his his people that were helping him, you know, investigate things, things being the Ukrainian um alleged this theory that the Ukrainians uh messed with our elections in twenty sixteen. They get arrested for funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, into uh, a couple of candidates here, Republicans, of course. And <laughs> what they were trying to do, be honest, um, is they were also trying to establish a, a, a gas and energy company in Ukraine. And they were doing this through a shell company. Um, let, me, let me pull up the name <laughs> of, the, of the company they've created. Do you know the name, be honest? I don't. I'm just laughing at the similarities between what I said a few minutes ago and this, how Giuliani, what he's turning into or what it seems like he's always been and we just didn't know. Hold on a second. So these guys, I don't know if it's a joke. Uh, they, they have a, a company that they use to funnel this money. Uh, hold on a second. 
But as I'm doing that, so so basically, you know, Giuliani has admitted before these are individuals that were help that were helping him. Uh, Trump was asked about this, and he claims he doesn't know these people, and he they must be Rudy's people, and is not Rudy knows them. And then someone from the press says that, oh, uh, they're his clients, and he goes, oh, well, I guess he does know them. Um, so. Um, so long story short, um, so so this this happens now. It appears clearly that that uh, that Giuliani is now also part of an investigation into campaign finance fraud. We know that because these uh, United States District Attorney for New York, ironically, Rudy Giuliani's old job has said as much that the investigation continues. So back when we had the Mueller report, we talked about mobsters. Remember, be honest, we talked about how you have to arrest the underlings before you get to the top? Yep. So Rudy's underlings have been arrested. And Rudy is now, <laughs> Rudy has an attorney. Uh, and and <laughs> it, it seems like he's under investigation, though he recently released a statement that says he's unaware of being under investigation. As soon as this happened, I told you Trump was asked about it, and the, and he was asked if he thought Rudy was going to be indicted. And you know what Trump said? Oh no! What would he say? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> All right. So these two underlings helping Giuliani. You want to know the name of the company they were using to funnel money into the United States and and also and to acquire and build a new company in in Ukrainian in in Ukraine. Can't you want to know the name it. of their of their company? Can't wait to hear it. You know, I, I'm I'm shitting you not. Be honest. <laughs> this is like a movie, but like a bad movie of this kind. The name of their company was called Fraud Guarantee. <laughs> is this a joke? Fraud guarantee. <laughs> These are Giuliani's boys. These are Giuliani's people that are helping him uh, dig up quote unquote dirt. These corrupt individuals are helping Rudy Giuliani weed out corruption. <laughs> And they named so, the company as uh, Guaranteed so, Fraud. Uh, so, so Trump was asked if, if Giuliani was still his his uh, his attorney. You know what, what Trump said? I don't think so. He said yes. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. All right. So he's not sure, you know... Um, and today he released a new statement, Trump, saying that, you know, basically saying how much, how honorable Rudolph Giuliani is. Still not saying whether or not he's his attorney anymore. Right. But this is, this is par for the course. Trump did the same thing with Michael Cohen. Did the same thing. Right. Uh, he was his attorney till he wasn't. So if Giuliani continues to be toxic, radioactive, which he apparently now is, it seems very clear that Giuliani is under investigation in connection with, you know, this uh, crime of campaign finance fraud that um, his two clients slash helpers in this Ukrainian boondoggle investigation were arrested for after buying one-way tickets to, I believe, Frankfurt, Germany. By the way, you want to hear something interesting? Yes. Giuliani was also planning on going to that same country later on. Hmm. Hmm. Just hmm. Quink, quinky dink. 
No, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. So, essentially what we have is Ukraine was a very corrupt place for a very long time. The current president ran on an anti-corruption uh, platform and won. Ms. Yovanovitch, um, for many years, was, was tasked with trying to nudge the Ukraine into the ideals that we hold here, which is theory, don't be corrupt, have democracy, etc. She was removed. Wouldn't play ball. She was removed. Uh, the details of her testimony will probably trickle out later. She testified on Friday. Um, as you know, the news cycle is not usually very lively over the weekend. Right. So, the fact that Ms. Yovanovitch testified says something very important. Ms. Yovanovitch is the first person who's currently still employed the State Department to defy Mike Pompeo's um, edict that no employee uh, cooperate with the Congress investi congressional investigation. It's not lawful and violates Article 2, but they had been holding that line. So she's one of the first person to break that line. And this week we've got four or five individuals expected to come in. Some are former State Department people. One of them being on Monday is, I forget her name, but she was one an individual who was released, I think, earlier, at some point last year. But she sat in on most of Trump's calls and communications, not only the Ukraine, but other world leaders. So she might have some interesting things to say. We're also going to get, in theory, the gentleman that was on the text message exchange that we talked about last week. Um, essentially, you've got another career ambassador, a diplomat, actually a dignitary. A dignitary is a little bit different than an ambassador. Um, basically saying, not basically, explicitly saying in text message on WhatsApp, this is crazy withholding security aid for political gain. And the guy on the other end was the guy saying, hey, let's take this offline. Uh, duh. And, and before he said, let's take this offline, he waited four hours and provided a reply. You're a mistaken. There's no quid pro quo here. Let's take this offline, basically. Well, that guy is supposed to come and testify. You want to know the, the issue here with him is that it's presumed he's going to testify that he said there's no quid pro quo here after talking with Trump and being specifically instructed by Trump to say that. This is problematic because it, it means that there was a suspicion and it was relayed to Donald Trump that what he said was problematic and they tried to clean it up. And it's also a suspicion that this might have, this had to have also been lawyered up with the White House counsel. So once again, uh, this administration is thinking it's probably going to be helping itself when in actuality for people whose ears work and who are logical and reasonable, is it going to be more damning evidence that something wrong happened? So, you know, I'm getting close to Trump fatigue myself, but it is what it is. Um, a Fox News poll was released. Uh, early last week or about the middle of the week, which said that 51% of Americans uh, support not only impeachment, but impeachment and removal. So we'll have to pay attention to the Republicans, uh, people who, who call themselves Republicans and see if uh, opinion continues to trend as it is slowly towards his own party, Trump's own party, 
not the Congress people, but the actual individuals who vote trending toward impeachment and removal. Um, so that's Ukraine. Republicans have been either silent on this or saying that he was joking or saying there's no quid pro quo. So there's nothing to see here, even though the standard for impeachment does not require a quid pro quo, meaning do this and I'll do that. But I ask you, be honest, and everybody out there, what organized crime person says, if you give me this, then I will do this for you? None. That would never happen. Why not? Because they'll be, they'll be implicated. That's a yeah. crime. Exactly. Right. Michael Cohen already told us months ago, Trump doesn't talk that way. He's smart enough not to do that. Right. And notwithstanding all of that, I would still, and most logical people, and be honest, I think, you know, even if you were pushed, you would probably have to agree that in that communication we saw, that transcript of the, of the phone call that we saw, there was a quid, there was a pro, and there was a quo. So, you know, I digress. I'd have to be so pushed. So we'll see what comes out of this week. I'd have to be pushed, but yes. We'll see what comes out of this week. Um, another thing the Republicans are pushing back on is that they are saying that they're not going, that this investigation is illegitimate because official articles of impeachment, uh, on official uh, launching of the investigation has not happened, that they want to vote uh, on the floor for people to say that they want to officially launch an investigation. Uh, this was done with, with Bill Clinton. This was done with Richard Nixon. This was not done with the first president that was impeached. Be honest, you want to know why this was not done with the first president that was impeached? Um, why? It's not required. Oh. It's written nowhere in the Constitution. With Nixon, and particularly with Bill Clinton, it was used more so for PR. Um, as you recall, the Republicans came for Clinton's ass, and unfortunately, all they got was him to lie about getting a blowjob. But right. it was a political spectacle. I can't really speak much for the rationale with Nixon, other than Nixon had a similarly high approval rate when this when his impeachment investigation started. Right. But I digress. Either way, there's nothing in the Constitution that says this is required. Why is this important? Because the Democrats, the way they're proceeding, they don't have to have, they don't have to open up the investigation to other people. Meaning, technically, the Republicans, Donald Trump has no recourse of trying to cross-examine witnesses, cross-examine evidence, talk to the same people, or even be made aware of the people that they're talking to. I'll be honest, you want to know why? Uh, it seems like that would be conflict of interest. Well, that too, but more importantly, the articles of impeachment is the charge. So let's break this down. So in criminal law, how do you get to a charge? You got to get past what? The grand jury. Okay. A grand jury does not have to look at certain types of evidence. A grand jury can consider a lot of shit. They don't have a high evidentiary standard. There's no, they don't have to, you know, there's no cross-examination what a grand jury sees. You don't get to look at the evidence of what the grand jury sees. Right. Because at the grand jury level, it's deciding, do we have enough to bring an actual charge? Right. 
once we bring the actual charge and we get to a proceeding, a tribunal, if you will, then due process requires the accused to be able to deal with, re- try to rebut or argue against the evidence. Gotcha. So we're not at a charge state yet. Right. Trump has not been charged. These are, this is an investigation. He will be because unlike most things, at least for one of the articles of impeachment, meaning the Ukrainian call, meaning specifically a charge of, you know, uh, re- requesting the Ukraine specifically to interfere in our elections, a foreign entity, and then probably the Mayfold in China, I'm not sure. Uh, and he's going to get a, a, an obstruction of Congress charge, possibly too. When those charges are firmly voted on and they're submitted to the Senate, then Trump will have an opportunity to have his lawyers try to cross-examine people and, and rebut the evidence and provide mitigating evidence. We're not there yet. Gotcha. So the Trump administration is saying they're not going to participate in this investigation, meaning they're not going to willingly allow anyone they know that's asked to testify, speak with, give a deposition to any of the congressional committees. Now, the question, to be honest, is if everything is fine, if the call is perfect, if all calls are perfect, would you not want to have people say that? Would you not want to put witnesses up to say everything's fine, nothing's here? I would not because there are very talented attorneys that can turn and spin things. So if I had an option to not put forth anything else I would too not saying that they shouldn't or that they're right but you know there's there's always a chance if you if you give them a chance a, a talented attorney could figure this out a way to make this look different so no well, I wouldn't I, I don't know about talented attorney I'm, I'm more along the lines that Trump said everything's perfect everything's fine if that's the case and you don't submit people to talk then it looks to me like you're hiding something fair enough and that's, in, that's in any instance if you're not going to talk to me be forthcoming about what happened to me most most people would say okay well that's sh- that kind of shows that maybe there's some guilt about something what is that yeah well. so that's the the tack the trump administration is taking with this we're not going to participate the problem is this ukrainian thing basically trump has kind of turned the state department into his unofficial political campaign. He's appointing a lot of individuals to ambassadorships and et cetera who have had no form, no prior experience. These are political appointments. The State Department traditionally has not been a political branch with many members serving for multiple presidents. You know what happens when you remove career-long people who have been dedicated to a thing uh, and replace and replace them with people they don't feel are qualified to take their position. You think they're happy? I'd say no. You think they're probably willing to talk about what happened to them? Say the same. Probably, probably they're probably a little upset. They probably want to say something about. It. And that's who Miss Whitmas Jovanovic did. Um, so many threads. So we talked about Giuliani. We talked about Miss um, Jovanovic. Um, what did, you know, we talked about Trump's comments on Giuliani. It, all, all this is just falling apart. It's just getting wider and it's falling apart. Every day there's something new. Um, 
public opinion in his own party seems to be slowly but surely trending into the right direction, but very slowly. But still, uh, it's going that way. Um, Trump tried to bring on an attorney this last week, um, <laughs> but that guy rethought it, and now he's not going to be coming on. So people are starting to see this is something they don't, they don't want to be a part of. And uh, we're going to get the impeachment, and it's very possible we may get the removal because of Syria. Let me quickly rack up, rack up, uh, wrap up Syria. Be honest, do you know much about Syria? Um, nothing recent. So you have to get, you'll be teaching me as you teach the listeners. All right. I'm gonna try to wrap this up really quickly, which is unfair because arguably the Syria thing is just as important to our regular, regular day-to-day lives, if not more so than Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, uh, without talking to anyone and his, well, let me do it this way. So the, the president of Turkey called Donald Trump. Donald Trump liked what he was hearing. Uh, and the president of Turkey asked Donald Trump to, you know, remove U.S. troops, protection of what's called the Kurds. The Kurds are our allies who have fought with us since 9-11. When 9-11 happened, as you may recall, we did not want to get into a long, drawn-out ground war with ISIS. Didn't want to do that. They want another Iraq on our hands. So we looked for allies to fight our ground wars for us. One of those, if not the primary ally, was the Kurds. The Kurds took on uh, ISIS on the ground in, in northern Syria, I want to say. They took thousands of losses, hundreds, maybe, maybe tens of thousands of people died fighting our war for us. This is not controversial. This is not hyperbole. This view has been adopted by the Democrats and the Republicans is that, you know, the, the Kurds have been our allies in the fight against ISIS. So much so that all the captured ISIS fighters, about 10,000 of them, were being held in a, in, a, in, a, in a prison guarded by the Kurds. They are our primary anti-ISIS allies. Well, the Kurds don't like Turkey, and Turkey don't like the Kurds. So Donald Trump, after talking to the president of Turkey, decided, you know what? You're right. I should remove United States troops out of Syria and have them stop protecting the Kurds. And he did it. Um, it, the sources say that he did this without any consultation with a single person in the United States military, none of his generals. He did this without a consultation with any of his Republican uh, Senate leaders or Congress leaders who are on security councils. In short, he just did this all by his damn self after a phone call. What is this? This is he turned his back on allies who have recently died for us fighting our war so that American troops did not have to fight it and who are guarding 10,000 ISIS soldiers. He will remove the protection for them to fend for themselves, which means to die. You with me so far? Yep. So the Republicans who have been very silent on the Ukraine and very silent on China do you know how they took this? I would say that they are pretty upset about this one. They are pissed off to 
to the highest pissosity I have ever heard yeah. of anybody in the GOP since Donald Trump has been in office. Do you want to know who the leader of being pissed off was? Who? L- Lindsey fucking Graham. It's like he said, I don't give a damn if you got a picture of me with a dead boy. You can't do this shit. Lindsey Graham's rebuke was, this is a short-sighted, impulsive decision that will, I, will, that will lead to uh, the rebirth of ISIS. The president has said repeatedly that we've defeated ISIS, and that is simply not true. How did Donald Trump respond? He says, I've told the president of Turkey that don't do anything, you know, you know, don't do anything with the Kurds or because if you do, you know, and then I, I, I can destroy your economy. So I don't expect him to do anything. Less than 48 hours later, Turkey invades northern Syria. Thousands of Kurds have already been killed. It's a hot war. Turkey does have an air force. They're bombing the Kurds. And uh, two days ago, Donald Trump, uh, one of his speakers said that they have, they have, <laughs> this is ridiculous to be honest. They are almost ready to levy sanctions against Turkey if Turkey continues to, I don't know if acting appropriately was the word, but if they continue, if they act in, continue to act inappropriately, there are sanctions at the ready. Ready to go. Well, they've already could acted, do it. They've already acted inappropriately, so. Could do it. We could sanction them. It could happen. Yeah. We've written them. The sanctions, they are here. It could happen. Yeah. We could do it. What is Turkey doing right now after hearing all this? Probably laughing. Whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. So let's talk about what this really means. So this means that um, some of those 10,000 former ISIS fighters have probably escaped because the Kurds have to uh, reshift their defenses to survive. This is a... Um, this is not a war for for prisoners. The Tur- Turkey wants to um, genetic cleansing is the right term. They want to get rid of the Kurds. Period. Right. They want to kill as many of them as they can, replace them with 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 Turkey people or people that are similar. Uh, genetic cleansing. They want to cleanse the area and repopulate it. Um. So what is, are the Kurds going to do? The Kurds are probably now going to have to turn to either ISIS, uh, I'm sorry, either Russia for help, uh, make a deal with Russia, or they're going to have to make a deal uh, with Syria. Syria. So northern Syria is where the Kurds are. Syria, the rest of it, is under the control of Assad, who's, well, who's known as a human rights criminal. He gasses his own people. And so... I ask you, be honest. How does this, I don't even want to say make America great. How does it make America safe to do this? Well, I don't know if it makes us unsafe, but what it does make us is unreliable. 
um, you know, we, we, we often have to call in some of our favors. And, I, and, you know, as the police of the world, which is what the United States is, it's upon us to protect people that we say we're going to protect. And by us leaving these guys out there high and dry, we're showing that we have the ability to, to pull that away. And that, to me, especially being at the, the, you know, the trigger finger of Trump as opposed to what everybody else would, would think, I don't think that any regular American, not like Donald Trump, but a regular American, I don't think any of us would have just said, hey, yeah, just leave those guys high and dry. Let's just, you know, pull out. I don't think most politicians would have pulled out. No, no, no. Be honest. Literally. 90% of the politicians don't. And maybe I didn't, I wasn't clear about this. Why does this make America unsafe? Because you're going to release those ISIS fighters and ISIS is going to regroup. ISIS is not gone as it is, but they're going to regroup. That's the point. That's the, that's the problem. Yeah, you're I, releasing yeah. war criminals to go back with their boys, to go back with the, you know, yeah. let's do ISIS thing. Yeah, but Secondly, that's, that's not as scary as they make it seem like, but go ahead. We're talking about 9-11, man, but okay, sure. The other thing is um, you're also creating potentially new terrorists because yesterday's friends who just watched their family obliterated now probably has a big problem with the United States. Right, and that's what I'm saying. So both of these things, you've destabilized the region. See, back being honest, back when we were talking about the election, this was a huge concern. We and up until this. now, he had not really been doing anything with, with foreign policy. Yeah, we discussed this. His foreign policy is probably shit. He didn't have any, and he wasn't doing anything about it. So the one time, apart from this Ukrainian thing, that he gets involved in foreign policy, he goes against his generals, 90% of all politicians, and he's made America less safe. And more importantly... Not more importantly, it made America less safe. And two, he's completely obliterated the chance for us to have allies in that part of the world for probably the next 10 to 15 years. True. And I have to call myself to the carpet because you didn't do it. I'm on record for saying that I thought that he, even in his lack of foreign relations experience, that perhaps his business acumen would do things in, other, in, in our foreign regions that we had never had the opportunity to do before because most of the guys were career politicians and not businessmen. But now I am, I am calling myself on that, that that didn't work out so well. Well, be honest, you know, I, I tried to say this when we got into this a long time ago in a way that wasn't derogatory because it also fits to me. Um, you and I don't, to, to understand geopol geopolitics, you can't just wake up and do that one day. You can't just Google your way to it. You can't just read, you know, Al Jazeera and CNN and Fox. It, it takes a lot of time because it's very complicated. It's a, it's a house of cards. It's a one domino, which is another domino. In other words, it's not something novices should be fucking with. Right. And so that was a fear of mine. And I had loaded myself into a false sense of security that, oh, he doesn't care about it. So he's just not going to fuck with it. So the, the machine will keep going. The status quo will be maintained because he doesn't have an interest in it. And so that didn't happen. Um, it's really bad. Um, the war is ongoing. The war has been going on for what, five, six days. Um, Trump 
yesterday has decided to. Oh, so uh, the Turkey, the Turkish apparently dropped some shells near United States bases because he didn't pull out the troops. He he also instruct he instructed a large majority of them not to interfere. So they started dropping shells near our bases, and the military people seemed to think it was intentional. So Trump now has pulled out everyone from the area. At the same time, he's also sent a thousand troops to Saudi Arabia. Mm. It just doesn't make any sense. By the way, let me tell you how bad leaving the Kurds unprotected was. The Jews said this was a terrible idea. The Iranians came out and said this was a terrible idea. B, it's so bad that both Jews and Iranians say, nah, nigga, don't do this. Right. Why? Because it destabilizes the entire region. Yeah. You don't know who's going to come in. Russia's probably going to try to come in. China may try to come in. Uh, you have strong countries around Turkey might get stronger. Uh, Syria proper may get stronger. It destabilizes the region. So what we have basically in, 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 a, in a nutshell, we have a president who is making us unsafe, turning the, his back on our allies, not just our allies in theory. By the way, you know what Trump said about the reason why he was okay uh, pulling troops out of Turkey? I mean, out of, out of the north, northern Syria and leaving the Kurds. What do you, you want to know what he said? What do you say? They didn't fight with us in World War II. <laughs> yeah. He also said that, you know, he's just got to bring the troops home. That's where I ran him. Going to bring the troops home. Why is he doing this? He's doing this because I believe a couple things. One, he's just looking for any political win. Any political win, any positive thing he can say if he makes it to next year in an election, he needs, he needs it. But more importantly, we have to ask ourselves and be honest, you got to ask yourself. You, you do know the president of Turkey is a dictator, right? Did, did you know that? Didn't know that. Do you know the basketball player Enos Kanter? Oh, yes. I've heard that story. He can't go home. Right. Because they will kill him. Yep. I've heard that. Yeah. You know, his father has been arrested and is under, well, has been arrested. Yeah. Because of Enos Kanter and what he says here. Yep. So, Australia, Canada, Germany, France. Fuck them. Trump points his finger at them. Says you owe us money from NATO. Remember that close conversations we had? Yep. Putin, Kim Jong-un, President Xi of China, and now the president of Turkey. Good guys. The problem Every one of those people I named are dictators. Right. That run totalitarian regimes. Fascists rule with iron fists. We're in the middle of a constitutional and democratic crisis. And I'm not sure how this thing's going to shake out. That's all I got, man. You can take us out. I, I bet. <laughs> black on both sides, where nothing is black and white. 